How are you doing, Albert? Doing good, man. It's good to be talking to you again. It's been a while. It's been a fat, fat minute. For context, Albert and I were, were um, design buddies. More than design buddies, we were AET buddies, too. Um, oh, yeah? Kind of, yeah, because you were a year above me from, from what I know. Um, or but I right, but I definitely know. But how has the year treated you? It's been I feel like it's been a year since you and I have talked to this type of extent. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know the last time was it I, I had called you and told you some given you some news, but before that, I'm pretty sure in, in more of a conversational yeah. format, it was probably the last time we were discussing. I think it was something DFA related. I don't know, but yeah, probably I'm curious to know how you're year has been because i feel like a lot has happened in our lives in the past year a lot has happened for oh yeah you know in your life from what you've you've told me um from that brief call when we catch or caught up does it feel like it's been a year since college since you graduated or does it feel like five years does it feel like more than a year some days it's more and some days it's less i think the craziest part um or the craziest thing that happened to me recently, like uh, I think la- in late last month, right? I get like a Google Photos like anniversary basically of like, oh, here's some pictures that you took last year. And it's like pictures of me and my girlfriend and my family like here for ring week or like for graduation. I'm like, oh my gosh, that, that was a year ago. Like, I can't believe it, you know? Um, but yeah, definitely a, a lot has happened in this year alone for sure. Right, I didn't get my UT ring. I think that's that's one thing that you have that I don't. I don't know. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot of bling. My it's a lot of bling. Were, yeah, my parents were very um, happy to get it for me. I guess being like the firstborn, um, and they I think they got it for my sister as well, who sh- who also graduated this past uh, month. So we both have our rings. I think there's a picture of us where where she posted where I have like my horns and she has her. She's going to UNT, so I think it's like the claws. We both have our rings on. Yeah, I don't know, man. A lot has happened this year. Like, um, I don't know, too many things to count, but like so many adult things that I didn't really expect to happen. Like I knew they were coming. I knew I was graduating. I was like, okay, I guess I'm an adult now, but got my first job, uh, got my first car, moved into my first apartment with my girlfriend, um, which has been awesome so far. Um, And... I don't know, just a lot of, a lot of things. First, like vacations out on our own. Um, I actually got laid off from my first job within the exact same year and then found another job. So um, just a lot of like transformation really fast. And like, sometimes I'll go to bed. I'm like, holy shit, like I'm an adult, you know, I'll be thinking like, I have this apartment, I have this car, I have this job. And I'm just like, I, I don't know how this happened so quickly, but it did. Right. I mean, I think that's something I have to look forward to, or maybe not because I'm doing more school. So I don't think I'll, I'll face that just yet. But I was talking to one of my friends last year. It's actually Caroline. You both know her. And oh, yeah. she, she was, she was speaking about how college really isn't adulting. And I can, I can, I, I can get that. I mean, I, I don't fully know yet what adulting is like because I'm kind of in limbo at the moment in between transitions. But mm-hmm. I think if anything, maybe college is some kind of training ground that teaches you how to do laundry. <laughs> That's it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But beyond that, I think the, the real 
woes of adulting begins whenever you're just shot out of college and then they're like, mm-hmm. okay, here are all the things that you actually have to deal with. Um, and that is something that I'm not looking forward to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I think it's something that like at some point people have to get used to and deal with. Um, also what I realized is between every transition that first, like a year later after that transition happens, it feels like a lot has happened in between because it's such a massive difference in time or, or not a difference in time, but a massive move within a, like a limited time span that is one year. I think one of the things that um, was craziest to me, I think I saw like a TikTok and it said something along the lines of like treating sort of like education in school is like guardrails. Like first you like have your parents, you go to kindergarten, right? Those are like the guardrails. You have something to do every single day. Go to middle school, high school, and then college, right? Like the guardrails are like a little bit lessened, but you know, you still have classes, you still have things you have to do. And then you're sort of thrust into the adult world and that's where like all the transformative stuff happens and you're like, okay, the guardrails are completely gone. Like, I don't know. I think the biggest point that I realized that was when I was laid off um and like for two months i didn't have a job so i was just like if i don't do something every single day like you know eventually what was that experience what was that experience like because i i also had a friend who was recently recently laid off um but those two months of i guess i wouldn't even characterize it as nothingness right because you could have been doing something in those two months but what were those two months like was it uncertain was it stressful how did you approach that um it was definitely a very ambiguous time and i think luckily uh, me and yours are trained for situations like that like through like our design sort of background but like having to put that into like a real world situation is a lot scarier for sure like um, especially when it's like something personal like that right like it's it's like a, a deep impact problem because you it, it's affecting your livelihood and your ability to you know bring in income um, mm-hmm. so like I can understand how that's even more elevated or that problem is even more elevated. Yeah, for sure. And I, I guess for context, like I actually didn't know about this until recently. Like I was reading a New York Times article on like how a lot of startups now are getting strapped for cash and are, are having to do a bunch of layoffs. And so um, that's sort of the same thing that happened with me at the startup that I was working with. Um, and I guess for people that don't know, I was working at this company called PetraX. Um, we did stuff with the medication adherence. We had like a physical product as well as like a few digital products, um, business to business and business to consumer. Um, and one day I just get like a meeting uh, on my calendar from my boss. And um, it was just really like all of a sudden I didn't even expect it. I was like, oh my gosh, me and my, me and my girlfriend were actually joking with each other. Like, dude, you're going to get fired. This is where you get fired. And I showed it to the meeting and yeah. I mean, he basically described it that way. Like, it's very volatile right now, I guess, with all of the market conditions and I guess things that are going on that are way above my pay grade. Um, And so they had to lay off a few people at my company. Um, And so from there, I was just sort of thrust into like the ambiguity, right? Like, I guess having a job is a guardrail in itself. But after that, I was like, wow, there's really no guardrails. I don't know. I keep referring to guardrails, but that was the biggest thing that clicked in my head, like after seeing this TikTok on 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 TikTok. Um, but I guess from there, it was mainly just seeing like, okay, what what do I have to do 
to get myself to, you know, be able to pay my bills that I've already accrued because I thought I had this security. Um, you know, I have this really nice apartment now with my girlfriend. Um, and a lot of it was just like every day, just grinding out like applications, resumes, um, talking to old professors who I was super grateful for because they've been super helpful. Um, and just seeing like, what connections can I make? Um, because I don't know, man, like going through the resume and like cover letter process is, is a grind, especially when you don't have a lot of experience. So I think the thing that I learned the most from like a two month intensive job search was that like, it really is who, you know, um, because I, I ended up getting my job that I have now. I work at, uh, Toyota as a UX designer, which by the way, um, uh, just to interrupt, that's congratulations on that like that's that's amazing because Thanks, I, I saw that on linkedin and i was like yes sir because toyota's toyota's something we had learned briefly about through or at least i had learned briefly about through the itd curriculum and they're the toyota way and their methodology and how a lot of um core business methodologies that other companies use come from toyota so when mm -hmm. i when i found that out it kind of did come out of the blue because i knew the last time i spoke to you, you were looking for jobs and then that happened um but I know probably getting to that point was still difficult as, as, as you were, you were just describing. Yeah, it was a full-time job in itself. Like honestly, just going every single day, I would try to send in like at least three applications somewhere. I had like a long, like notion spreadsheet of just like jobs and like their status updates and like who I reached out to, like, it was just, it was just a whole process. Um, but luckily I got a phone call. I think I put my resume on a few job boards um, and I got a phone call from a recruiter um, who was recruiting for Toyota. And I went through like a two interview stage process. Um, and I don't think I can go into too much detail about that, but um, it was it was actually pretty straightforward and they were hiring pretty quickly. So I don't know, it just happened to work out that way. I mean, how would you how would you describe um that job search versus the one right after graduation because i'm I'm aware of that one pretty well mm -hmm. you, you you talked to me about it and you were in the whole process of i think at that point putting together your portfolio and anything how would you describe those two moments again the one the one right after graduation where you're looking for jobs and the one you you just went through yeah um the first one is kind of the same thing um, there were a lot of lessons that I learned from there that I sort of grafted onto the second stage, but the main ones that I learned in the first sort of job search was just interviewing skills, like getting in the room and like practicing. Um, I didn't do a lot of practicing like outside of interviews, but I mean like actual real experience through an interview. Um, I mainly just like prep some things, but it wasn't until like the second job search that I actually started practicing. Um, so just making sure that like, I don't know, like as you're going to go into this at some point, like just making sure that you have all those points down. Um, for me, it was like grabbing as many experiences that I thought were relevant as possible. Like even if it wasn't DFA, like other things that were just sort of translated into some of the keywords that were on there, like uh, job board or job description. Those are probably things that helped me the most because I feel like I, I did fairly well in the interview processes. But the main thing that got me my job at this startup was actually a friend of mine um, because I had been interviewing at all these places and sending in my applications. 
Um, but they weren't really going anywhere because, or at least in my mind, it was because I didn't have anybody sort of on my side, like fighting for me. Um, so a friend of mine, Christine, who I had met through um, ITD at UT. I know Christine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Christine. Yeah. Um, Christine, she had interned with Patrex before I got a job there. I think they were looking to hire a designer, but she had already had a job at Capital One. Um and so she had referred me and I had some, a few initials conversations with uh, their co-founder, another co-founder, their strategy team, their designer. I actually had been talking to them for like a month and a half before I actually got like a, like a, a yes or a no. So it was really just like having those conversations and I guess having people to sort of fight for you. But um, I think that was probably the biggest thing that I learned from college is that unfortunately it is really like who you know and it is like a like a networking kind of game but i'm super grateful for christine for sort of getting my foot in the door um because from there like a lot of people it seemed like uh in my second job search that i had worked at a startup i had all this experience and it it really does like light your ass to a fire because like you're sort of doing everything all at once um so i guess a lot of the bigger companies sort of value like fast learners or people from that startup environment so um, I'm, I'm assuming that's what sort of helped me in the second interview process, but, um, it was definitely like nonstop, like calls from recruiters on LinkedIn, just because I had a few years or a few months really of experience at a, at a company. I know there was one job in specific that you had been offered. I don't, I don't think I'll, I'll name drop the company, but it was a pretty large company. It was right after, uh, right after or you, when you were about to graduate, but it was something completely unrelated. To your field I believe that was the only offer you had gotten so far that was already after a pretty um, I guess still you looking for jobs and then you turned it down was there a, I mean I, of course there was a specific reason you turned it down but did you turn it down because you thought okay work is work cool but this is not something I want to do um, it wasn't related to what I was doing uh, I got a job offer or actually now that I think about it, I don't think it was a job offer. I think it was just the, like, we were talking about continuing the conversation, um, though, I guess things were sort of like uh, in a pretty good direction, but um, I decided that I didn't really want to pursue it. And I think the manager that I was talking to sort of caught on to it, um, mainly because I, I think I would have definitely been able to have gotten the job. I think when I went into my interview, I sort of gave the vibe that like, yeah, I'm willing to do this, but not like. 100% invested in it. Um, I think after college, I was definitely looking for security. Um, I come from like a first gen family. So it's like, you know, I wanted to get a job, uh, be as secure as possible and like be able to get a nice apartment and, you know, actually provide for myself. Like finally, after um, having to rely on other people, like during college or on myself, like their student loans and stuff. So there's a lot of like outside pressures to sort of accept the job. Um, but I think I realized that like, had I been here, it would have been really nice and cushy, right? And I would have probably gotten really complacent. Um, so I wanted to make sure that like, I challenged myself in a way that I could have, you know, pursued other opportunities that were more aligned with uh, the field that I wanted to be in. Yeah, just to follow up on that, I, I know, I mean, you've seen probably seen this memes or this meme many times or the saying that they're looking for entry-level UX designers, but they require five years of experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure you either saw that or applied for jobs that required that. Mm -hmm. How far would you say a connection goes 
for a job that still requires that? Um, I say connection, but it was really a recruiter that had reached out to me. And so they knew that like I could do the, the work based on what I had told them uh, from my previous experience at Patch. But I would I will say that I also did get some like callbacks and like first interviews with places that I just like sort of cold applied to. Um, even though I didn't have those three to five years of experience. So it's definitely doable. I think so long as you have some kind of experience to relate to, and I'm not saying like job experience, like so long as you can effectively communicate any skills that you've learned that are applicable to a job or any like, I guess, tools that you might know that you could definitely like um, use within that day-to-day -day job because most of the stuff that they're gonna do or that they do on a day-to-day -day basis is teachable. At least that's what I've sort of learned is that like, you know, they have all these crazy requirements. They have these three to five years of experience, but really like if you have a designer's mindset, if you've worked within like a design framework or you've done personal projects and you know, like, I guess how to be a designer, not how to be a designer, but how to learn basically in, in sort of a design environment. If you can communicate that, then you, you will definitely get like a long way when it goes, you'll definitely go a long way whenever you go into your interviews or um, whenever you're talking to people that are, you know, just looking for someone to sort of stir things up at their company. Right. And and, and the reason I'm asking that is because first, I think never fully understood that, that limitation or that barrier that existed. And I know the people who then get into those exact roles are people who may not have had you know, four to five years of general experience. So I was always curious about what is the reason for that limitation or stating that on a job posting, maybe it has to do with the fact that it just, I guess, downsizes the amount of people applying. So that's less people to deal with. But at the same time, if you're putting them through an algorithm, I don't know what mm -hmm. difference it makes. Just wanted to get your take on that, like what you think that the reason for that type of label on a lot of these types of entry level positions are, because um, I'm at a point where, again, industry does interest me, but, and I've talked to you about this, academia is something that, that more so interests me and is probably the path that I'm seeking. But for those who see these types of positions, who get discouraged, what can you tell them possibly is the reason for a company putting, I guess, a guardrail like that up. Mm -hmm. or not a guardrail, just a barrier in general. It's actually a good point because I think one of the biggest things that I learned, like having to go through this job process twice in a year, was that things are negotiable. And I think that's also a big thing, like as an adult, it's like everything's sort of negotiable. Like you, as long as you're able to like communicate your value effectively, um, then it becomes a lot easier to apply for those jobs. But I will say that they do, it feels like they are sort of like a barrier to just sit through and just, you know, see if there's anybody who's like willing to apply. But like, if I were to give any advice to anybody who was looking at these jobs and was kind of intimidated, I would definitely say to just go ahead and apply because most of the time it's like a manager who just sends this to their HR manager and then they'll give them a few keywords and they'll try and make it as cost effective as possible. So three to five years, that means that you don't really have to train them that much. But um, I think the biggest thing 
uh, when it comes to matching with the company is literally just a culture fit. Like if you, I guess, vibe with your manager that you're interviewing with, or if you vibe with the recruiter, um, it just becomes that much easier. And there've been some app interviews that I, that were like three to five years that I'd applied to, I'd gone through the process, but we just didn't vibe. Like it wasn't like, um, I don't know. That's the best way I can describe it. Like it's, it's always it's, the vibe. It's, it's always, always the a vibe. vibe. <laughs> yeah. And it's about matching or meeting that vibe. Cause I don't know, like if they're really, I don't know, uppity or I don't know if uppity is the word that sounds like a right. something from the fifties, but if they're really like, I don't know, passionate, you know, try and be passionate or I guess just sort of match the vibe. And if it feels like it's just weird and it's not your vibe, then, you know, maybe it's not the place to be. That's perfect because the, the two points I wanted to hit on, I think, I think, I think the first in regard to what you just said, the first thing was I've had definitely had that experience where, and this was during the, the internship job hunt last year. And there was a specific company, not going to name drop, where a specific company I made to the interview round, very large company, but also known for their design practices. And I was hyped. And I think the first error I made was me trying to get into the head of the interviewer. What do they want me to, what, what do they want to hear? I think that was the first problem. That being said, even if I wouldn't have done that, we wouldn't have vibed in general. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing they had said, which did stuck, stick with me as uptight as I thought they were, and that's me putting that lightly. <laughs> um, yeah. But one thing that still stuck with me was them saying, Look, we know you can do the work. This was, you went through the algorithm, you, you went through an intense process, you took the tests that you needed to take, you passed them. This is just to see what your your value system is. How do you think? How do you operate? Because one thing I realized, and I think this can go for people who approach their portfolios, is that they're not hiring a robot. If you can design, you can design, that's great. In all honesty, hundreds of people can design. Hundreds of people are good designers. Hundreds of people might be great designers. In -hmm. the end, it's about who you are and what you believe. And especially in a field like design, it's not just about how you think in terms of the design mindset. I believe it's how you think creatively. Because I've met so many people, you included, so many designers who are doing something different. Other than design, they're not just designers. You're you're into sound design, right? There's there's so many people who are into animation. They're doing all of these things, and it's about what a, what creative skill set you bring and what value system you bring to the job. And that's something I realized. In the end of the day, like you said, y'all don't vibe. Y'all don't vibe. There, there's nothing you can do to force that. It's like the friendships you you choose. It's not saying that you're trying to look for a friend in that process, but some friends you vibe with, some people you don't vibe with, then you don't end up being friends with them. Um, if that's a, I think, I think that's a, a closely applicable analogy. And then the second point is, I remember being just recently in an interview for grad school where I entered, didn't feel like thing or the vibe or the mindset matched up particularly, went through the entire interview, of course, answered their questions, Got to my questions, felt like the questions weren't being answered totally. They were being half-assed a little bit. And Mm -hmm. then I thought early on, I'm like, you know what, politely, it it didn't look like I ended the interview early. But in my mind, I told myself, okay, if I was juggling between this grad school and the other grad school, just based on the vibe and the mindset of the program, I think I've chosen this other one just from the way this interview was going. And I remember finding a way to 
exit the interview early. Um, again, having gone through all the interview questions and everything and leaving. And I think there's a special power to that. Granted, I still mm-hmm. got into the program, even though I thought <laughs> based on just the way it was going, it wasn't going to go that way. Because usually I can get a gauge of how things are going to go just from the vibe of the interview. So that was a one yeah. time where I thought the interview didn't go well, but it still went well in my favor. But the point is, is that there's also a certain you as an interviewee or a job, some lo, someone looking for a job also have the power to say, you know what? This doesn't check my vibe necessarily. Um, don't mm-hmm. be a picky, too much of a picky beggar, but I still think you can be to an extent because in the end of the day, it's about what you want to do in both the short term and the long term. And if things don't mm-hmm. go well, or if you don't get a specific job because you didn't pass the vibe check, it might've been for the better you, you you never know that that's um, true and like i think the interviews that i enjoyed the most were the ones that sort of wanted to learn more about me as a person outside of work those are the ones that i feel like and i feel like if if all of those had gone uh right i guess had i not chosen the job that i had chosen had the other ones that i had gone with i guess i had pursued them I feel like I could have easily like gone up just because there was such a like a connection because we were able to communicate more about ourselves, more about what we wanted to. And I even got to ask like a bunch of questions about them, you know, like just getting to know the person that you are interviewing with um, even beforehand, like going on LinkedIn and learning a little bit about them. Um, that's definitely a, like a really good thing to do because then you have some top talking points. Um, and I think the places that I didn't enjoy the most were just where, like I said, vibe was off we didn't really talk much about anything else outside of work like it was very like blunt straightforward like hey uh we need this to do x amount of work in x amount of hours or i don't know just sort of looking for like a contractor kind of thing like i guess not a not a good contracting environment but um there was another company that i had interviewed with and i realized that like there's or sorry um I'm trying to remember, I was going to tell you something about this topic, but, um, oh yeah, sorry. It was a podcast I was listening to. Um, I was listening to a podcast and it actually came up in a conversation with one of my coworkers at Toyota, but basically like people will move companies just for their manager, you know? So like getting to know your manager in an interview is probably one of the most useful things you can do early on because like if you know how they work, if you know, I guess how you all communicate and you can do that effectively, then that's like the the best situation that you can be in. If you meet like a really great manager that you think you're going to learn from, is going to challenge you, um, it, it's going to be just a much better time, like overall. And I think that's probably something that I'm very fortunate to have it too. And I really, I really like my manager. He's super intelligent um has like a, a long background or a long history of like good like design experience and i'm just super helpful or grateful to be learning from a lot of good people at toyota for sure are you able to find that mentorship you're looking for in the industry um through someone like I, that maybe not officially but i have been just trying to absorb as much as i could like with each of the jobs uh, this year has just been like sort of mentoring, but passively. Um, I had a, for a while, I was actually working as like a a designer in a pair at Petrorex. And so I was learning as much as possible from my coworker. 
and then was actually by myself for uh, maybe like two or three months. And then I had a new design manager come on. So I've had like a lot of people to sort of watch work and and sort of figure out my working style as well with. Um, so I've just been kind of doing like passive mentoring, just trying to absorb as much as I can, just see what they do, um, note what they do effectively, maybe what they don't do effectively. Um, and I, I think one thing that I've noticed that separates like junior designers from, uh, I guess, like more senior designers is the ability to communicate with stakeholders effectively and like managing that whole process. Like at PatcherX, it was only like 10 people. So it was pretty easy for me to like take someone aside and on like a Zoom call and just be like, hey, uh, let's let's talk about this or oh, I have these designs I want to show you um, and get some feedback, right? But at Toyota, there's just like companies within companies because uh, they have a bunch of subsidiaries that are all like collaborating and then they have like different departments. So it's definitely a really a different environment. But one of my coworkers is is, is like um, or both of my, all of my coworkers there on my team are really good at just like talking to each other and collaborating within a team. And that's something that I'm still sort of figuring out because there's so many like aspects of Toyota that I just don't even know how to like begin with. Um, and uh, that's probably the the biggest thing that I've noticed is like really successful designers know how to like go in, have conversations with the people that they need to and do it effectively so that they can get like good work done or they can meet in the middle when, you know, everybody sort of has like a different agenda in the room or in the the department. So um that's probably been the biggest lesson that I've had from like a, a mentoring environment, I guess. Speaking of Toyota, completely up, off, like not related, but kind of related because it's Toyota. Do you remember the Toyota logo that was stuck to the ceiling of my apartment? I do remember some things being stuck to the ceiling of your apartment. And I, I think it was like a drawing of like uh was it sean or something no there was a drawing of a, of a yeah there was a drawing of a taco and a bell stuck to my wall but one of my roommates found the toyota found a toyota logo like a loose toyota logo at a gas station so he thought it'd be the bright idea to just pick it up and then tape it to the ceiling of our apartment so i don't know if you ever saw that it was definitely up there when you walked in but that could have been a sign albert you don't know just the Toyota gods were looking down on you and they, they thought this Albert we need we need him and then they and they and they plucked you but I'm That's interested true. yeah I'm interested to know how the that that environment works what so you had said that what got you into applying or got you into that job was someone had reached out right yeah I actually did, had no intention of working at Toyota when I was laid off I was just like okay I'm gonna look for as many things as I can and see what's good um, and I had actually been trying to figure out what's the best way to sort of do this as fast as possible. Um, and I'm not going to say that this is the best way because everybody has different experiences, but I started to get a lot of calls from recruiters after I put them on the job board and had, a, had some successes, but a lot, a lot of failures. And so I was actually ready to just not like just cut out the whole recruiter process, like take my resume off the job boards and just like block all these calls because I was getting calls like every day and I think that's just that that's our, sorry that's like a privileged thing to say but um I think it's just because UX design is so in demand right now um but I, after a while it was just like people calling me at seven in the morning on on Saturdays and I was like 
oh, man, this is this is kind of annoying. But I think literally the day that I was ready to give up and not like pursue recruit, recruiting calls anymore, um, I had a phone call from one of the recruiters uh, that was looking for basically like a like a I don't know if it was just like a regular designer or entry level. Um, still not kind of clear on like the seniority of my role yet, but um, essentially they're just looking for a designer. And I just happened to be like, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm a designer. Uh, who do you, who do you have for me? Um, they're like, oh, it's Toyota. And I was like, cool. And I just hung up and then I get a, an email and we go through the interview and I'm just like, oh man, or I get, I get the email scheduling the interview. And I was like, oh man, this is, this is actually real. Um, because usually like I'd get a phone call, they would tell me the company and then I'd, I'd have like a long conversation with them and things wouldn't pan out. I wouldn't get an email or something. Um, but I actually get the email and I'm like, oh crap, I got to start preparing. And so I start looking into Toyota and I'm like starting to get really excited because I didn't know that they had recently just sort of shifted um, some of their design operations to the US. Most of it used to be do done in, in like Japan. Um, and now the, now they have their U S counterparts here in Plano, Texas, sort of taking charge of that through, through a new company that they have. Um, it's an interesting oops. place to do it from. I mean, not saying that Plano, Texas is a bad place at all. I've traveled through the great places of, or of Plano, Texas, oh, yeah. but why is it just, they thought, you know what? Plano, Texas is the perfect place to do this. I don't know. That's what I was thinking too. I, they used to have a, a, their campus in California, I think. Um, but I think it was like four or five years ago that they built the the campus and moved in over here um i've been to the campus a few times but my role is mainly work from home um but i do get to go on campus and you know test out some of the new vehicles and like sort of see how the experience is for because i designed for like the the multimedia system um and right now we're just sort of like trying to uh learn about this system that's already been built, especially me, because I, I'm sort of new to this. Um, so getting some time to experience, you know, basically the designs in context, right? Like you're in a car, you have to account for like things moving at you at 60 miles per hour. You have to think about like the heads up display, blinkers, you know, like everything in a car, basically. There's a lot more. The HUD. Um, the HUD. The HUD. Yeah. <laughs> such a, There's such a, lot... a fun thing to say. I know. I love saying that. I think I... I don't remember the first time I ever heard that word. I think I was playing like Halo or something. I was like HUD. It sounds HUD. cool. It sounds cool. Yeah. I I I think I used did I? Oh no, I used HUD in my internship last year. I used a, anyway. We're having a weird, or I'm having a weird tangent about the HUDs. But the <laughs> HUD, the HUD, is a cool word. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. No, I think the HUD is like the. I I could be completely wrong because I've seen I've heard different people in my company like refer to different things as being the HUD, but to me, the HUD is like the hologram on like the windshield. Oh, you know I you better say about? the HUD is Halo, and only Halo can use HUD. Only Halo that. can use HUD. He's about to go there. Yeah, for real. Um, but I don't know. It's been an interesting couple of months, or I think I've been there a month now, um, where I'm just sort of trying to learn as much as I can about this huge company and all of their products and also, a lot of the historical context, like that's one thing they don't tell you about in a job is like there's so much history to like a product or a company. And I guess the longer you're there, the more of an advantage you have, right? Because 
you have that historical context but that's something that i've just been having to like learn because I'll, I'll be like oh what is this what does this do um how do i work with this and they're just like oh well back then uh we did this because of this reason or i don't know they'll, they'll just be able to give you a lot more information um and that's something that i've been struggling with is just trying to get up to speed as as much as possible there's a lot of documentation that that people do across the entire companies and and all of their like subsidiaries and that's been something that i've been like i mentioned like historical context just trying to get up to speed with that when it comes to, um, I guess, some of the processes, there's a lot of, um, I guess within my department, it's it's at the forefront of our mind, right? Like thinking about the user and thinking about like what is important. I mean, like right now, I'm sort of working on a project and we're just waiting on um, basically like user testing. Like it's something that's so important to the process. And that's something that I like was sort of lacking or I felt like at my company and my previous company was that a lot of the times, and you know, this is like in a startup environment, you're sort of rushing and trying to get things done in a way that like is effective or cost effective and, you know, can please our users in the quickest way possible. But with Toyota, it's definitely like taking their time, making sure things are right. We have a dedicated like research team, which is nice. Um, we get to basically go and immerse ourselves as much as possible into the vehicles. Um, we have access to like basically just going and checking them out all the time um and making sure that we're talking to the right people whenever it comes to our designs like we'll talk to people of all demographics um i haven't done too much of the user research yet but um i've been like part of research playbacks um from like uh the research team and I'm trying to think what else but basically there's a lot of context that i get filled in from like the coworkers and um from the research that they do themselves um, and since it's a larger company, I don't get to do nearly as much research, uh, since my role is a little bit more specialized, but it is something that we have to consider whenever we're formulating like our designs, how are we going to validate these things and so on and so forth. Right. And a, a lot of what our, I guess, mutual education was in what covered the fundamentals of design thinking or human centered design thinking. Do you see those principles being applied in a place like Toyota? Because one one thing I had learned, and another lesson that had stuck with me during my brief stint as an internet at Nokia, that three-month stint at Nokia, was that you don't want to necessarily be a design-thinking purist. And I think there is a massive benefit in that because I've, as much as I admire the spirit of human-centered design thinking i think it has somewhat gotten to a point where strangely it can be restrictive even though that's not the intent of that method uh how do you see what you've learned in the design curriculum or the ut curriculum being how do you apply it in a place like toyota how do you see something like human-centered design being used in a place like toyota and do you see a benefit in bringing in other methodologies? I know that was like a three-part question, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what you have to say about that. Yeah, for sure. I think um, going through the program definitely instilled a lot of, I don't know if naivete is the word, but you know, there's there's a lot of agendas when it comes to working within a company. There are a lot of like 
personal interests or a lot of like business interests that I feel like you don't really get as much when you're going through it in like the educational background, um, which is not a bad thing because I feel like it allows you to grow in the in the lens of a designer, like just in, in sort of the purest way. Like you are just thinking about the user, you are just thinking about, um, you know, what is probably the best solution possible uh, given all of this, all of these things that I've learned, right? But um, I think that was something that I had to learn very quickly, especially in the startup environment is that like, you know, if you don't ship the product at some point, like, you know, people don't get paid. So it's like, you have to be constantly moving, you have to be constantly testing to the best of your ability. But I think the things that helped me the back the most was just trying to like latch onto that sort of design thinking, pure process. Um, when really, it's all about like, just making compromises and just trying to do things to the best of your ability. I feel like that might frustrate a lot of people. Um, Cause it definitely frustrated me going out of college, but um, it's definitely a lesson that needs to be learned like early on, especially within, you know, like private businesses, like that's just the way it is. I guess like you have to sort of, you know, you're, you're working for the bottom line, but you have to make sure that you or someone is there to advocate for the user. So that's sort of what I felt like my role has been so far as just being an advocate for the customer, the consumer, the user, the person, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think actually at Toyota, I'm really enjoying it because there's a lot of focus on it with our, a new direction that we're heading in, like as a company. Um, they started uh, Toyota Connected, which is sort of like the, I guess like the tech branch of Toyota in the US. Um, and so now they're sort of rethinking a lot of really old processes that were um, basically like engineer driven. And now the product teams are getting a lot of power, I guess, like resources to make sure that things are done in a, you know, human centered or human uh, centric way, which is something that I'm really appreciating because there's a lot of uh, definitely a lot of barriers to be uh, broken down when it comes to human centered design thinking. Um, like what? I'm, I'm interested at, like a what huge company. What, what do you, like what type of barriers? It's just like a lot of like legacy people. I mean, I've only been there like two months and I think that's just the, or a month and a half, month and a quarter, not sure. Um, so I haven't seen it all, but um, you know, there's, it's definitely like an older company. I mean, it, I think it's been around for like a hundred years. Don't quote me on that, but you know, there's definitely like people that have been there for a long time that aren't used to working in like an agile environment um, or working or within design thinking. Um, and so a lot of it is just sort of like making sure that people sort of understand like what it is that is your job and then, um, you know, modernizing processes so that they can, I guess, make sure that human-centered design is practiced. Like, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but one thing that we have is that, or one issue that, that I have in particular is that we um, actually don't know how much I can get into this, but... Um, basically, the way that the designs are sort of manufactured is very legacy. Like it's it it's a huge process that involves like a bunch of different companies. Um, and I think recently they've moved um, manufacturing of like the designs and like actually implementation to Toyota. Before it was like outsourced, um, but for I think newer models it might be uh, a little bit different. But um, 
basically just modernizing them, doing things in-house so that way you can do them quickly and so that you can do them effectively because you are right there building it out, testing it, um, and even just putting it in a vehicle. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. Um, but yeah, I think it's just it's just a matter of learning quickly and just learning how to work quicker with that human-centered, I guess, perspective. I've seen human-centered design thinking applied in both the corporate and academic lens of, as the both of us have. I think there's a lot of shared experiences that you and I have in that regard. I think there's also, in my opinion, a design thing is a buzzword. I think it's become a buzzword in the past couple of years. And I don't think it is necessarily applied correctly, but when it is applied, it's applied in a very um, sometimes purist approach to then slow down processes. I don't think there is a reason to go through every single step of the design thinking process just to get to a simplistic or sometimes infeasible response to a problem. And what I'm interested to see is how companies take this idea that is supposed to spark innovation and innovate within it and add facets and components to design thinking. And that's that was something that I had tried to do within even a a lens like or, or an academic lens like Design for America, where it was, let's not just be specific to this idea, but let's expand upon it. Let's add to it. Um, and I'm interested to know do you see an advantage in adding more innovation to an idea like design thinking? And is that being applied in a place like Toyota where they themselves have had their own um, innovative ideas and practices on the design and development process of a product? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, at Toyota, they're definitely doing a great job of that. Um, they have some really great talent, um, specifically on like the managers. Like I, my department is, is very small, but, um, I get to interact with the larger UX team throughout the, uh, I guess, technology branch of Toyota. Um, and just from my interactions with them and learning about like their work and how they go about their jobs, it's just like really amazing because they really are like in, like thinking about, you know, the user and putting them first, but also, you know, having to navigate within a, a legacy company and sort of break down other agendas and, uh, you know, put things or innovate in a way that is for the customer, not just because like engineering wants to do it or, you know, just some, some higher up wants to do it. So it definitely feels like they're, they're really changing the direction that at Toyota. Um, I mean, I'm sort of like in the middle of that, so I don't know exactly how things were before, but um, I am quickly learning that things are heading in the right direction. And I think another thing that I've noticed is that like not a lot of companies, I guess, know or have like a really good foundation of like design thinking, or at least I guess that was sort of the experience that I'd had at, at my first company. And that's, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. I think it's just um, you know, my, my previous company was very young. Um, we hadn't had like a design manager that had, um, I guess had a lot of foundational experience. And so, um, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if they were just like 
uh, a huge blind spot where like a lot of companies aren't embracing design thinking. And so I don't, I don't know if we'll get a, a lot of innovation until much later once I guess a lot more companies are on board with design thinking and not as like a buzzword, but more as like a, as a method of, of, I guess, putting things into practice, right? Um, what do you think has become the popularity with design thinking though? Because I'm, I tried looking into it. I mean, I definitely did look into it and I know there's multiple sources. There's a D school, there's enterprise design thinking with IBM. And now that's also been embedded in a lot of other companies. But in the past, I would say five years, there's been this massive move for design thinking in multiple corporate industries to the point where like the largest industries are using it now as a practice. What do you think, why do you think that has come about as of recent? Uh, definitely because I think it brings results. Like, I think, I I don't have too much experience like with Toyota, so I don't know how they were before, but I think case studies that I had heard about when it came to like, or read about when it came to like implementing design thinking was that, you know, a lot of times like people that needed to be in a room together oftentimes weren't. And I think that's something that design thinking really thrives off of is getting perspectives together so that there is a way to innovate in that way, you know? And so <clears throat> whenever I see people or whenever I see like articles on a company's website about embracing design thinking, it's usually about like driving innovation. And I think another way that they do that is just by, or a one way that they do that is by adding different perspectives. And so I think that's one reason that it's probably become popular is because like, if you have that many perspectives in a room trying to solve a problem, you usually are going to have better results. And honestly, it, it probably makes people feel a lot better when they're a part of that process, when they're not siloed, when they're not sort of like doing the one thing that they, they have to do and that's it. Um, I think like the best product teams are the ones that are probably the most collaborative. So, you know, embracing that is something that companies will probably have to do or like, you know, suffer the consequences, I guess. But um, I think that's oh, probably the, the biggest the consequences. Benefit. So for the, the, consequences the consequences of capitalism and the Cap market. Oh no. Um, you've worked in both now, now you've seen this methodology be used into some degree or some effect in both a corporate or a large company like Toyota and then something more like a startup like patch RX. I think within a year you have this, you're, you're operating within this rare space where you've been able to touch on both sides of the industry, the startup area. And then you have, again, the area that is more of a larger legacy, older traditional companies or company. What would you say is the difference between working within a startup or pushing design principles and practices within a startup versus a large company? How would you say that you also grew as a designer in both arenas? That's actually a really good question because I've been trying to think about it now because right now I'm like in absorb mode. Like I'm trying frankly. Like you're a month into Toyota. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But. The biggest thing is probably just um, at the startup, it was just, it's very scrappy, you know, like, and that's sort of the way that startup environments are, are described, at least in 
popular culture or like from other people that I had talked to about their startup experiences that it's very scrappy. It's very much just like putting your hand to the fire and like learning as much as you possibly can through just doing things. Um, I had never written like a research report for like a, um, like a product that was going to be going into like the market right before I had done so with like DFA, but you know, some of those are a little bit more theoretical, uh, cause it's like student experiences, um, or some of them will get implemented, but like the biggest thing is like these designs or the work that you do is going to have some sort of impact on people. And so it's, especially in, in my role, advocating for the user is probably incredibly important, especially in healthcare, like with, with my startup, um, or with Patrex working in healthcare, that was just the thing that was like always on my mind. Um, because a lot of it was just like actually talking to um, like patients who had chronic illnesses and pharmacists and doctors uh, on like a weekly basis, um, which I thought was really awesome. Um, but I think the main issue that I had had at Patrex was just making sure that things were done in like a timely way. Like, you know, there wasn't a lot of resources or manpower within my department compared to like engineering. I think we had like, I don't know, like five to one engineers and designers. So it was just like a lot of things to be doing for like a brand new product at once. Um, and I think with Toyota, you have like people specializing for very specific things. So like we have an anim a UX animator, we have like uh, like different managers for different, for like the design system. And I think for like uh, the product overall, um, we have like uh, legacy sort of uh, design departments as well uh, for some of like the older products. And like, it's just a lot of people to get to know and a lot of like stakeholders to have to manage as you're sort of going through designs. And so that's probably the biggest challenge is like startups, it's very easy to get something done really quickly but you might not have the resources, you know, but in the large company environment, there's a lot of people doing and a lot of resources, but, you know, that's also a lot of stakeholders that you have to manage that you can't do as quickly. So like you might want to push one, one design change or something, but you have to contact some product owner on the other side of, I don't know, the, the building. And like, um, it's just a lot of, a lot of, uh, I guess I don't know if bureaucracy is the word. A lot of a lot of hands have to touch the product before it actually goes out into the market. You 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 had talked about um, being able to work on something that can be tangibly produced, which is interesting because there are some large companies or large firms, consulting firms, design firms that may that may not be the case. It's still theoretical it's still to some extent not being applied and like what I, what I had touched on earlier sometimes very infeasible mm -hmm. for you what do you as a designer get more satisfaction out of the the idea or the process of implementation because like implementation can take months up to years for something to become tangible but if it's more through a larger company like Toyota, there's more hands, there's more of a uh, structured process behind it. But as a designer, what kind of fuels you? What gets you up? What gets you going when it comes to your job? And what is that one thing or maybe a couple of things that would you would see as your end goal as a designer when it comes to a specific project? 
Um, I probably can't talk about it because I just don't have that much experience with Toyota yet. Mm -hmm. Also, some things are in the air, but all right. Of um, course, yeah. The the biggest things, and I could probably talk about my Patrex experience a little bit more, but the things that I had enjoyed the most was actually showing and talking to users uh, about our product. Um, whether that be through like validation or getting some initial feedback on maybe some designs we had. Um, let me see. We had like a few advisors at Patrex, which is really nice because we were able to communicate with them pretty often. Um, and it was basically just like, oh, hey, I have this design. What do you think? You know, or just like getting them in a group call, um, asking them some questions about, I don't know, some insurance restrictions or Medicare. Restrictions. Like there's a lot of things in whatever industry that you're in. There's going to be some like either regulations or some sort of historical context or even like industry specific rules or jargon that you're going to have to learn. And so it was really interesting, like one, because I'm a very curious person, like learning about the industry itself. Right. And then two was just like learning how or taking uh, the user that I was interviewing with or the advisor as sort of like the expert in their subject matter, like treating them as an expert, learning about what it is that their, their problems were, and then figuring out, okay, how can I sort of improve this for the next time that I talk to them? You know, so I think that's probably the thing that motivates me the most is like making sure that the product is, you know, solidified in a way that, that makes everybody happy, whether that's like, you know, I, you, ideally it's user first, but then you also have to think about, you know, business stakeholders and talking to them. Um, but, you know, sort of, managing that or compromising and like balancing that is probably my least favorite but you know it's something that you have to develop that skill or something that you have to do uh, especially as you as you grow in your your career as a designer but definitely the part that i love the most was just learning about whatever it is that we were whatever problem we were trying to solve and you you've I feel like you've, you've learned a lot within the past year because again you've been in an area where you've been able to work on both sides of the spectrum when it comes to the industry and you're still again a month into a large company like Toyota I'm interested from I guess someone who just exited what I call the bubble the UT bubble um, the work you did at UT does it now seem inconsequential or do you see it as a genuinely fundamental training ground for the work you're doing now it's de it was definitely a, a good training ground like i can attribute a lot of the experiences that i learned like or practicing design like at ut um and you know some of the organizations that we headed up and that we were a part of um because i don't know i think the the biggest thing that I learned at UT was probably just working with other people, um, especially towards something that you really uh, want to be working on or that you're really passionate about. Um, and then also just like hard or soft design skills, you know, like just getting, being able to do projects and learn about, you know, all the sort of things that can go wrong in a project um, or that can even go right, right? Um, I think there are some projects, you know, that some of them may not have like, solidified into something tangible but at least there's something that you could draw experience from and sort of you know take that and and graft it into whatever situation that you're in 
Um, I think like you and I are in a particularly unique position because we were sort of like heading up Design for America UT, but also doing it with a bunch of different obstacles like the pandemic, the freeze, and like just a lot of things were going on. Um, and so, I don't know, it gives you a, a sort of uh, experience in, in, you know, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Um, and I don't know, it, it, it makes you, I guess, more suited for the next, uh, the next thing, the next stressful thing, I guess. First of all, leading DFA feels like an eternity ago, not eternity ago. Actually, that's, that's an exaggeration, but it still feels like a while back. Because uh, I don't know if you can classify it one year ago as a while back, but genuinely a different time because it was just at the tail end or at the height of the pandemic, nearing the, not the tail end of the pandemic, but the area where we were entering vaccination zone, if that's what we want to call it. Um, and even to this day, like you said, anything that could go wrong with that role went wrong. And I think it taught me how to spontaneously douse fires because and again like anything that could go wrong went wrong and it happened on the spot and it was more of we don't figure this it was a matter of if we don't figure this one thing out then this whole thing tanks and we have to figure this out right now and that i believe is going to carry forward when it comes to, i believe it when it comes to my problem solving abilities and first i'm glad that and i think i told you this at the moment and I'll say this now, glad to have it gone that with th gone through that with someone like you because when it came to and this is a larger point of this first one being UT taught me how to collaborate. I think when I came into this, it was more pure raw ambition, and there's still definitely a sense of that within me, but UT taught me how to be a team player. And how there is no black and white or an ultimatum when it comes to a decision. And leading something like DFA, I learned that almost every conversation or every conversation we had, it never was an argument. It was more of, what do you think about this idea? And then you would pitch your idea. And then I'd be like, huh, didn't think about that. And then we'd come to the middle or we'd... Uh, or I'd, I'd go to your side about it, or you come to my side about it. It was, it was always more of a conversation when it came to that type of collaboration more than, well, I think this is the right idea, and then you'd say the other way, and then it wouldn't go that way. And I think that that's a rare space to operate within because I know some co-positions that don't end up that way. I know there are some co-positions where there is an un, there is a wrong understanding that there is th this issue is black and white, and not every issue, if not I think every issue is not black and white. There's always multiple moving parts and circumstances. And that was something, or one of the things I'd learned to be of value from going through UT, working with you, working with peers, that I believe is going to still carry forward with me, whether it be through a further academic capacity or something like a working in, in the industry. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I definitely think that that also can be contributed or attributed to just some of the lessons that we learned in like the design program about just like checking your ego at the door and, you know, thinking about what might be the best solution in a collaborative way. I think that the ITD program and Design for America definitely like established those principles or values within me is just like, you know, it's whatever is best for the outcome of this, this project, you know what I mean? And so thinking with that in any situation, um, 
can definitely make it a lot easier to, you know, come to like a solution. Um, and I definitely think that we both sort of had that and, you know, teched our egos at the door and we're just like, okay, how can we sort of wade through this shit storm as best that we could? Um, so I definitely appreciate that. Before we yeet out of here, that's a word. Is it a word? I don't know if it's part of the dictionary. Did you say yeet? I said if before we yeet out of here. Mm, that might be something we have to look up, but I think it is. I it think it just be... got added. Or I heard really? some meme word got added to the Oxford Dictionary. I don't know if it was that one. Wasn't that swag? Wasn't swag always part of the dictionary? I don't know. Let me see. Is yeet a word in the dictionary? Yeah, yeet defined as an indication of surprise or excitement. Oh, wait, no. Was voted the American Dialect Society's 2018 slang of the year. I don't know if it's in the dictionary, but, but there's some accreditation, accreditation <laughs> with it. There's some kind of citation for the word, which is pleasing. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, before we get out of here, um, do you have any advice for graduates or recent graduates or people exiting the bubble or the college bubble entering the workforce? Um, Keep your chin up. I don't know. <laughs> keep your chin up. Keep your uh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. No, we're just kidding. Um, I hate that phrase, but anyway. By the bootstraps? Um, what does that mean? I don't know. People back in the 60s had straps on their boots, and they were just pulling them all the time, I guess. True. And they got them a house and a retirement fund. And Anyway, sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing that was troubling me when I was um, – getting out of college is like I think I had like a big ego it's like yeah I'm a I'm a graduate I'm ready to get a job at like Google and Amazon or whatever fang right and like there's just so many companies that like you can get experience with that are a good team and that aren't necessarily like you know building the next iPhone or building something crazy you know and I think that was maybe an ego thing that I had was just like oh, I don't want to apply to this place they do I don't know, um, shopping or retail or something like that. And like, I think after a while I started to realize, you know, like, uh, who am I to not want to, to sort of shoulder these places off when like I could learn a lot at a company that may not be, you know, Apple or Google or whatever. Um, and so I don't know, I don't, I don't know if it's like curb your expectations, but I guess just be open to anything, especially if you're like really anxious to get started into the industry, because it is really hard to get into um, and I guess that sort of leads into my second point, which is like networking is something that I hate with a passion, but it is kind of nice because then you develop some relationships, you develop some mentors and some people that, you know, will advocate for you. Um, I hate the sort of like transactional sort of relationships. So, um, you know, utilize networking try to not make it just transactional, like try and build relationships with the people that you are talking to. Um, and they will, they will definitely help you out because applying to places every single day, like while it feels like you're doing something, like sometimes all you need is like someone to advocate for you and it, it becomes so much easier. Um, so like, I don't know, I think one, one thing that I've heard a lot of is just like reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn and just being like, Hey, I like what you're doing. Let's talk, you know, and not just not saying that like hey give me a referral or anything just like being curious and learning as much as about them 
maybe they learn a little bit about you. And if you feel like the job or the conversation went well, then you have somebody that you can call on later. You know what I mean? Um, but I think those would probably be the biggest pieces of advice for new grads. Are you still into sound design, making music? I try to be. I Sometimes I'll get out of work and I'll just be so exhausted that I will literally just veg out and play like Elden Ring or just watch TV or something or just hang out with my girlfriend. But my girlfriend got me this, um, I think it was for Christmas. She got me this. Um, oh, whoa. Uh, it's a Behringer TD3, which is an emulation. I don't know if you see it, actually. Emulation of a Roland 303 baseline, which is what they use in a lot of like house music and like uh, acid house as well. And you know, and just I'll just mess around and like make some beats with it, but um, nothing too crazy. I'm still kind of figuring out how to use the damn thing because it's like it was made in like 1997, and this one is just a reproduction of that. So the UI and UX is not is not good on it, but um, it's definitely a, a learning experience. You should write down your suggestions and then send it over and be like, fix yourself. Yeah, actually, that's actually a good project. Um, Cause I, I think like a dream company for me is to work at like Arturia or Isotope. Um, and they do like a bunch of software that makes like music production, like I guess more democratic. Like Isotope has a lot of, um, like AI powered um, sound engines and like um, software that allows like artists to just sort of make like um, basically like production quality stuff like really easily. And I feel like if I was a part of a company that I guess made music production easier for people, I think that would be pretty cool. So I don't know, maybe that's a project I'll have on my portfolio for when I'm interviewing at Isotope at some point. But um, you mentioned Isotope a year ago with to me also. Yeah, they're. Yeah. They're crazy, man. Still on your radar. I love all their stuff. Still yeah. on my radar, but not anytime soon. I'm really, I'm actually really happy at Toyota and just learning as much as I can. But I think if there was somewhere that I really wanted to be, it'd be like some music tech company for sure. Yeah. Thank you, Albert, for doing this with me. I've been meaning to do this with you for a while. There's a lot of podcasts with people I've been meaning to do for a while. And then now that school's over, finally getting the time to be with people like you. So, Thanks for catching up with me. Um, I hope all is well. Good luck on your future. Yes. Yes. Yeah, hopefully I, mean, I have a future. Okay. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We don't want to look into what that means, but good. Yeah. No, just... it was, again, great, great, great talking to you. And uh, I hope, I hope all is well. Uh, you're living in Dallas now, right? Yeah. Um, did, I just, did I just give your location? I mean, you just you, you did mention Plano, Texas. So yeah, I no, I live in Dallas. You can say that. Shout um, out Dallas. Yeah, I'm actually really liking it here. It's kind of like Austin, but a little bit slower. I don't know. It's kind of nice. I feel like I came from a rural area, so Austin was a big change because it's always fast and crazy. But Dallas is like a little crazy. You know, I don't know. Just a tad bit. Not like crazy, okay. crazy, but 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 she's still kind of crazy, just a little, a little bit, just, just a, a little. little. Bit. With the yeah, it, I had traveled to Dallas August twenty twenty one to with my friends just to see a furniture mart called the Nebraska Furniture Mart, massive furniture mart. But that's really why we went. Which now to think about it, we really got a 
um, figure out our reasons for doing things. <laughs> but uh, that's I remember going to Dallas and the, the, some really wide roads. Okay, well, thanks for doing this with me again <laughs> once more, and I'll, I'll talk to you later. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm super, super happy to be here.